going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 will be in the second half of the chapter, so we're going to read verse 13 down through verse 23 here in a minute. Um, <clears throat> you know, the founders of our nation believed that democracy would not last, it would not thrive and survive outside of a Christian uh, country. Um, they, they believed that there had to be that higher calling in order for those rights and privileges and the responsibilities to be truly obeyed. Um, and I believe it would also be true to say that freedom will not be free, freedom will not exist without a mutual concern for your brothers and sisters. And so you have to have concern for them, they have to have concern for you, or freedom doesn't really exist. And so you take like the idea of America that was a democracy based on freedom, it's not going to exist without that mutual respect and concern for, for one another in a Christian context. And that's actually what we're talking about today when we look at freedom and how you're supposed to use it, um, especially when you are with other people. Because see, Christian, Christ, the Christian life isn't lived alone. We don't live by ourselves and never affect anybody else. We have other brothers and sisters that live with us, and we're going to affect them. They're going to affect us. We're going to interact. We are supposed to be a community. So how do we do that? Um, we, have, we have that companionship, but we also have a responsibility to the people around us. You know, this may be a newsflash, but everyone is going to have their own opinion. Everybody is. About everything. It's probably hot to some people. It's probably cold to some people. The reality is we don't, we don't agree on hardly anything. Um, we're riding down the road and I say, man, that's a good looking truck. And Amanda says, no, they did too much with that one. And then we go down a little bit further and she says, look at that pretty car. And I think, that's kind of boring. We just all have our own opinions about pretty much everything. You know, somebody walks outside and says, oh, that's a lovely day. I'll be honest with you, if, you, if you're outside a, a lot, you're probably going to have your favorite kind of day. I like overcast days. Um, because I, I get sunburned real easy. So an overcast day, cooler, I like that kind of day. But some people love to see the sunshine. If you go to the beach, you want to see the sun, not the clouds, right? And so it depends on what you like and, and all kinds of opinions. That's a little bit about what this passage is about today. Um, we've got to learn how to seek out the things that are important to God, make those the main idea, and then opinions and, and, and smaller level stuff, we've got to find a way to live in harmony with that. So if we accept the idea that we are truly living for the Lord, um, I don't think we're going to have any difficulty accepting the idea that we have to restrict some of our freedoms for the sake of his mission. So today Paul's going to provide a reason for us to walk carefully within the liberty that we have been granted. So this sermon kind of goes in the larger context of chapter 14, in which Paul presents the idea that we are very free as Christians. There were, had always been restrictions among the Jews about what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, days that had to be reserved as holy, um, and, and some of those same kinds of ideas, maybe different application, but some of those same kind of ideas affected the Gentiles that would have also been Christians. And so in the Roman church, you would have had people that thought, well, there's only these kinds of foods you can eat. There would have been people that would have think, well, these days are holy. And so in the middle of that, Paul's saying, there's great liberty in Christ, but we also have to live responsibly. And so that's where this passage fits in, is an explanation of how we live responsibly 
among other people while still having the freedoms that Christ gave us. So the sermon in the sentence is this. The great freedom given to us by Jesus is not there for us to cause harm to believers or the work of God. I didn't ever actually say uh, the title of this, but the title of this is Make No One Stumble. And so this is one of those essential Christian truths is that we don't lead other people to stumble. And so let's read this passage. It's not that long. And then we'll get into what it actually, uh, what it actually means for us even today. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All right, so this first part we're going to be looking at, I believe that Paul's telling us, don't risk a believer. If you are going to do what you're going to do, make sure that it doesn't risk the faith uh, or the Christian walk of a believer. So we need to remember that Paul basically said that there are two types of Christians when it comes to all of this. He said there are strong Christians. Now, strong Christians are the ones that understand and have a good grasp of the freedom that Christ has given us. So to recap just slightly, we're not talking about the, the law being wiped away. That's not at all what Paul's talking about. What we're talking about is the areas where God doesn't give a law, where God doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do exactly. In those areas, there is great liberty. God leads each Christian according to their convictions as to how they should live. So he says there are strong people, people that are strong in the faith, and they have a broad understanding of the freedoms that they have in Christ. And then he mentions that there are weak people. And weak people, people that are weak in the faith, have a limited understanding of their freedoms in Christ. Now, as I describe these two people, you probably have people popping in your head for each of them. Probably don't do that. Probably just think about what you might be. That might be the best benefit for each of us is to say, you know what, do I, do I put a whole lot of limitations on my life that maybe God doesn't put on my life? Or do, do I live it kind of wide open because I understand that God has opened up everything for us. So the, the specific subject is food. Um, Paul spends a lot of time talking about this, and so there must have been a very specific problem with the Romans. Now, I don't believe there's a lot of us in here with this great, you know, angsty struggle about whether or not we should eat meat. 
I mean, we've had eating meetings where it's mostly just hamburgers and hot dogs. I don't think we have a problem with meat in this church, but what I will say is that there are very specific applications that would fit for this church or would fit for any other church as far as what he's talking about. Because as you read the New Testament, you find that there, there's actually a, a good deal of effort put in the New Testament, the writing of it, the recording of it, to let us know that meat has been clean. So you know that, that Jews couldn't eat pork. Um, well, they couldn't eat split-hoofed animals. They couldn't eat smooth uh, fish. So they could eat like a bass or a brim, but they weren't allowed to eat catfish. Now, the example that I find in most of my commentaries is eel, but I don't know anybody that wants eel. You like eel? Of course. Um, so there's a lot of things that, um, that you just wouldn't want to eat, but the Bible tells you that, that all of this has been made clean. Peter had a dream, and in that dream, uh, Peter was, was, was seeing like God just bringing down all kinds of animals. And this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven. So he's, all these animals are coming down, and uh, God says, take, kill, and eat. And it was every kind of animal, clean and unclean, it was all open. And so that was one way that God said that. And then through the teachings of Paul, God has said it again. What we understand is that you don't have to keep to the Jewish diet in order to please God with how you eat. And so that's what, that's what he's talking about here. But how might that apply to the rest of us? Well, we'll have to talk about that for a little bit. So, to start with, just to kind of give us a baseline, we should never put our desires over the desires of another person, and we should always be willing to obey Scripture. So, where there is a law, where there is something that God is saying, we've got to obey that, because that's unquestionable. But where there is, where there is freedom where God has left things open for interpretation, that's where we have Christian liberty. So if you fall on one end of that spectrum of Christian liberty, and you know that your brother and sister in Christ falls on the other end of that spectrum of Christian liberty, then what should we do? We should both live responsibly. In other words, the person that, that sees it as everything is, is open and free to us because God has made us free, maybe don't indulge in all of those freedoms because the person over here doesn't see it that way. And so that would, that would be what we have to do by living responsibly. So these commands that Paul's giving here, especially uh, the one uh, uh, about not judging and, and not causing someone to sin, those two commands, they apply to both the ones that would be strong in the faith according to the first part of this chapter and those that would be weak in the faith according to this first part of the chapter. So those that would tend to make more rules and more laws. Um, the, the Jews wrote a bunch of laws that weren't in the Bible. Um, we call them kind of hedge laws. And the idea was, if there's a law such as do not murder, and you said, okay, so do not murder. And so then they would make laws around that, you know, don't go to your enemy's house, or, or don't, you know, don't get in a loud argument, or um, don't own property that could therefore be stolen, or... You know, you keep backing it up away to where there's, you would never even have a reason to murder anybody because you've got, you've got so many other laws to keep you from that. Well, this is the kind of thing that Paul was addressing was the fact that people were making laws that God didn't make. And so there are people like that even to this day. Um, in fact, most Christians go through some phase or stage in their life where they make laws for themselves that aren't in the Bible. 
at certain times, you, you make those laws for yourself and you say, well, you know, I'm just not going to do this so that I won't get anywhere near breaking this law. If that's what you need to do, by all means do it. But that's not necessarily what God expects of us, unless he is personally leading you to that. So last week we talked about the difference between a command and a conviction. If God lays something on your heart that you have to do, then you have to do that. That is the law for you because it's what God has laid on your heart. But that's not the law for everybody else. And so that's, that's, where, that's where this balance has to, to come in. So our first uh, kind of main sentence here, Scripture is clear. We are not to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I don't know what's going on in someone else's heart, what God is doing in their heart. So if they are not violating a clear command of Scripture, we are not to set ourselves up as judges. And, and, and that doesn't just mean think badly about them, although it kind of might include that. It actually means pass some kind of judgment or some kind of sentence on them because of that. We don't know what God's doing in their hearts. And so that's where we have to find that and draw that line. So we may say well, what they're doing, it may not be you know, commanded against in the Bible, but it's not profitable, so they shouldn't do it. Well, we, we don't know that. We, we don't know what, what God is, is, is doing. So you take, for example, you take somebody that, that has a hobby that gets them around people that aren't in the church. You might say, well, that's not good. You're fellowshipping with unbelievers. That's going to lead you astray. Well, how do you know that God didn't put them in that position so that they could be a light among their friends, among the people that they are working with? And so we have to be, we have to be willing to let people live out God's will and plan for their lives without judging them. You know, and, and so, so there is that. And so, so Paul says, make sure that you're not judging. But I want you to, I want you to notice the 13, it says, Therefore, let, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So that's definitely towards the ones that would be of the weaker faith that would say, hey, there's rules and there's things that you just simply can't do. But then he also says, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So here the stumbling block might be speaking towards the one that is more free. And the more, the more free person, th there may have to be some temperament. So, you know, in my previous example, if you're out discipling, so let's say you have a, a hobby and, and, and you go out with people that are not saved and you, and you practice that hobby, but at the same time you're trying to witness to them and lead them to Christ, well, that's not something you can stop. But there may be other things where, as, as more of a free spirit, there may be things that you are doing that maybe you would not do in front of other Christians simply because you know that different people have different opinions about those things. That's where this is talking about. God didn't make a law, but there's certain things that maybe we wouldn't do. And so... For the people in this passage that believed, oh, I can eat any kind of meat, maybe you don't bring your bacon cheeseburger over to your Jewish Christian friend's house and, and go right to town on it right in front of them because they're not going to appreciate that very much. And so that's what this is about. This is about those things where God has set us free, but maybe we don't always use that freedom to, to, to make someone else feel bad. And so that would be a stumbling block for that person. How's it a stumbling block? Well, one... They're looking at you thinking, okay, you're a sinner. Well, most likely, and, and, and I don't think that people have changed that much from the first century to the 21st century, if we see somebody doing something wrong, we're going to start thinking some bad thoughts about them. We're going to start judging them pretty quickly and, and thinking what we, what we typically will think about people like that. So, you know, put yourself in the position where you're sitting down watching the news, and the news says this person went and robbed five people and, 
you know, knock somebody over the head and they've died from their injuries. Well, what are you going to think about that person? You're going to think bad thoughts, right? Because that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we're wired. And so if, if you are a free Christian and you're putting something in front of a Christian that may not necessarily feel so free, you're going to make them judge. You're, you're going to lead them to that path where they start sinning by judging and those kinds of things. And so that's what Paul's talking about. So Paul is convinced. He says this in, in, in verse 14. I know and am persuaded uh, in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So he's convinced that the old restrictions of the Jewish diet are no longer apply. But also in view here are the dietary regulations that were common in the first century. He believes that those things are, are free. Remember, this is the man that believed that if he had faith and he got bit by a snake, it wouldn't actually harm him. He did get bit by a snake one time. It didn't actually harm him. He believed that if God told him to go to Rome, he was going to go to Rome. And if he had a shipwreck on the way, that didn't mean that he wasn't going to Rome. He was still going to go. So he has faith in God as far as these things go. So anyone... Uh, uh, or, or he does state that anyone who has not been convinced of the cleanliness of a certain type of food should certainly abstain. This is kind of the secondary theme, and, and he closes with it, so it's not very far from the top. But whatever we're doing, we've got to know that God approves. However we live, whatever freedoms we ex exercise, we've got to know that God approves of this. And so if we're doing something and we say, well... There's no law against it. I don't know how God feels about it, but there's no law against it in the Bible. That's not a place of faith. You have to know God has no gripe with me about this. God is not judging me for this. God is not convicting my heart about this, and so this is what I'm going to do. And so that's going to be different in different cases depending on what it is. So you take, for example, I really like to go outside and shoot my guns. I don't do a lot of hunting, but I really like to go outside and shoot my guns. I'm going to do that through the summer. I'm going to do it in the early fall. Um, but, you know, I'm probably not going to do that uh, right during hunting season because I don't want to startle deer that other people might be hunting. Am I free to do that in my backyard because I've got land and room to shoot? Yes, I'm free to do that. But it might cause some trouble for somebody down the road, so I won't do it then. Um, if I knew that it was disturbing people, then maybe I would consider not, probably, I don't know, but I might consider not doing that. But you just have to have some, some consideration. It, it's just like the thing, if y'all are on any of the Facebook groups in any community, anywhere in at least Alabama, I can tell you that on July 4th, on New Year's Eve, and whatever other holidays you shoot fireworks, there's always going to be an argument on that Facebook group. Well, you're free to shoot fireworks, but you shouldn't shoot them at midnight. Well... That's just an exercise of freedom. Is there a law against it? Not out in the country, but is it, is it maybe going to cause somebody else to stumble or sin? Maybe so. So we consider our freedoms in those ways. So there may uh, seem, or this may seem like a very detailed conversation to be having in Scripture about food, but we must realize that it has other applications. And so let's talk about some of those. So there are many areas in our lives today where God hasn't explicitly spoken. He certainly hasn't said everything that needs to be said for there to be a law. Um, and, and we seem to have conflict in a lot of those areas. So you take church, for example. What kind of music should we sing? What is clean and what is unclean? I have seen arguments for and against virtually every kind of music that you can hear. So people think that, well, you know, we should stick to what God made, the hymns, right? But God didn't make that, did he? That was the Psalms. I mean, if you want to sing the psalms, go right ahead, but the hymns are newfangled music to some folk. Um, but what about the southern gospel? Well, yeah, that's fine, but what if you don't like southern gospel? And then you talk about contemporary, and you talk about different styles of contemporary. 
Is there a law in the Bible that says thou shalt only sing hymns? No, it doesn't even say you should only sing the psalms. It does say sing psalms, but it doesn't necessarily say the ones in this book. We're not limited to 150 pages in our hymnal, right? And so what that means is that God has given us freedom there. There shouldn't be a fight. Now, if, if you're in a place where you know, hey, if, if we break out the Gaithers, folks are going to get mad. They're going to get swinging mad. Well, maybe don't break out the Gaithers there. That's common sense, but that's also what this passage is about. But if you know that you can sing songs that, that you know, delight your heart and lift up the Lord, then sing them. And so that's one of the areas where there's been a lot of struggle in the church, especially over the last you know, 50 years or so when, when music kind of changes. And, 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 and for those of us that have grown up listening to contemporary music, let me just tell you that there's another wave coming, and it's going to be different than what you're used to. And you've got to fight that urge to say, well, that's of the devil. You know, I can have my Michael W. Smith and my Chris Tomlin, but you can't have whatever they're going to call ourselves next. You can't have that because that's of the devil. We can't do that. We can't be there because that's not where God wants us to be. What about how the church should be designed and decorated? You know, there's actually fights about that now because, like, this church is a more traditional in its design. You go to modern churches, and, and it, it's, it's, if you're used to going to a traditional church, you would say, wow, this doesn't really look like a church. It looks like a gym with chairs on the floor. And you might say that there's, there's differences there. Well, is God honored more or less by the decor? Well, not anymore. There was a time where he was very particular, very particular indeed. But if you search the New Testament, you will not find a blueprint for how to make a church. You can look at the Old Testament and find out exactly how to build the tabernacle. You can find out exactly how to build the temple. In fact, some of my read-through-the-year Bible plans died with that tabernacle. If you've ever read through that part where it explains how to build the tabernacle in great detail, those are some of the times where if I chose to read at night instead of the morning, I didn't make it. And so you have to understand that there was a time where God was very detailed about that, but we don't see that in the New Testament. And so what if we changed the carpet to green? Would God be offended? No. Would somebody else be offended? Most likely. And so we have to realize that we have this freedom, but we don't always exercise all the freedom that God has given us. So, what sort of clothing should we wear? You know, there are different um, denominations within Christianity that have very different things. And, and, you know, unfortunately, most of that burden kind of falls on women. So there's, there's denominations where you can't, you know, ladies can't cut their hair. There's denominations where men have to dress a certain way, where women have to dress a certain way. Does the Bible tell us how to dress? It gives us some basic guidelines of modesty, but it doesn't tell us how to dress. It doesn't tell us exactly what to wear. And that would be kind of silly if it did because clothing changes over time. So we have to understand what God has given us liberty in and how to live in that way. You know, the list could go on and eventually we would hit on something that everybody's emotional about. And so instead of me continuing on that list until I've got everybody good and mad about something, just think about the thing that if he, if he says this, and I'm going to tell him, no, God made that clear. That's not, a, that's not a freedom. That's a command. So go ahead and think about that thing and get that in your mind, whatever it is that, 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 that gets you mad. And I'm telling you, there have been people in the past where that was what got them mad. There have been people in the past where this is what got them mad. There's been people in the past where the translation of this has gotten them mad. There's been people in the past who if the preacher wasn't wearing one of these new, I mean ties, then that made them mad. The reality is all these things have made people mad in the past. Think about those things and understand that none of that's in the Bible. And then how does God want us to live based off of that? That's where we've got to be. 
So if you realize that you're causing harm to your brother or sister uh, in Christ by exercising your freedom, Paul says that you're actually not walking in love. Look what he says here. So he says, for if, and this is verse 15, so chapter 14, verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. If you have a freedom in Christ, but it causes somebody else to stumble, then you're not free to exercise that. That's where responsibility comes in. That's where concern for your brother and sister comes in. So, if me not wearing a tie causes one of you to stumble, I will wear a tie. I will. Because although I feel free to not wear a tie, if it causes someone to stumble, I would. And we have to realize that there is, there is that responsibility. There is that mutual concern. By golly, if you're going to serve the Lord, I don't want to get in the way. And that's the attitude that we all are to have. That's how we are to think. Our love should prevent us from becoming a stumbling block. Period. And whatever that means. If, if, you, if you think that there's all these rules to following Christ, then, then don't become a stumbling block to somebody that doesn't. If you believe that there's a lot of freedom in Christ, don't become a stumbling block to someone that believes there's a lot of rules to following Christ. We shouldn't do that. So the stumbling block uh, may be exercising a freedom or it may be placing an extra biblical law upon our brother or sister in Christ. It can be either of those things. Um, if both the weak and the strong agree to live in this type of harmony, we would not have the amount of conflict in churches that we do today. So why should a church split or break apart? Very, very few reasons. Very few reasons. If there is rank heresy in the church, then maybe those that don't agree with that heresy need to leave. But if it's a matter of decor, a matter of music, or a matter of preference, then that should not split a church. There should be harmony. The believer should be mature enough, responsible enough in their freedom to, to, to compromise and find the way to live together in any of those other types of situations. So if you find yourself in a dispute over Christian freedoms and you feel uh, the need to state that you are entitled to something, it's very likely that you're already breaking the spirit in the heart of this passage. You know, I've seen for a long time uh, when a leader has to kind of bang their hands and say, I'm the pastor, this is the way it's going to be. Or I'm the boss, this is the way it's going to be. Or I'm the whatever their title is, this is the way it's going to be. They've already lost all ability to lead. And if you feel like, I'm a Christian and I'm free and so I'm going to do this and I don't care how it affects anybody else. Well, you're already in the wrong. You're already in the wrong. You've already left the realm of grace. You've already left the realm of faith and you're in stubborn disobedience. And we have to be careful about living like that. Never bang your hand and say what you're entitled to because at that moment you've lost it. You've lost that entitlement. You've definitely lost that privilege. And so uh, all of our freedoms were given to us ultimately to further the kingdom of God. And so think about this as a missionary. If you were a, a Jewish Christian as a missionary and you were sent to, to you know, maybe, maybe somewhere far away, maybe, maybe you went down into sub-Saharan Africa and you were sharing Christ, but, but the people there, I don't even know if this is indigenous to the area, but the, all they had was wild boar. And so they killed a wild boar and they fed you. Well, as a Jewish missionary, you might say, well, that's pork and I can't have that. How well do you think that evangelism conversation is going to go if you kind of look down on them and disdain them for what the only food they can get is? I think that's going to be a problem, right? And so we have to realize that that freedom was given to us to further the kingdom of God. What freedom we have was, was given to us to, to reach you know, more people.
to, to, to help people hear the gospel in, in, in new and different ways. And so if something that we're doing is putting them off, then we're not using our freedom the right way. We're not doing what Christ would have us to do. So we should never let a small thing like food, drink, or clothing, or music be a point of contention that might cause another believer to stumble. Arguments in general just aren't worth it. Um, I can tell you, and I've probably shared this story before too, but uh, I went to the University of Mobile, and the first Bible class I took, um, and I was a King James only. Like, I knew all the, the reasons and all the verses that, you know, they had taken out. The devil was in all the new translations. I mean, I was that guy. And I went in, I sat down, um, and I don't know why I actually listened to him, but the professor just held up. It was the New American Standard Bible. He said, this is what we use because this is the best translation out there, so get you one of these. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I was wrong. He said it was such authority that I figured I probably was wrong. And so I started studying from that translation. They explained everything later and, and how, how the translations came from you know, the, the ancient times all the way to modern times, and I understood. Oh, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I see where this is coming from. And so it wasn't all that much longer later I got to preach one of my first sermons. And I went back to my home church, and I, and I preached that first sermon and I used that New American Standard Bible. And by that point, I had worked in the original languages. I kind of translated that thing myself. I understood the Word of God from, from that kind of direction. And I preached that sermon, and it was probably awful. But at the end of it, man that owned the local barbecue shop, he actually stopped me and said, everything that you said was invalid because you used the wrong version of the Bible. And here I am. I, I hadn't cracked 20 yet. I don't know how old I was, but I wasn't very old. And, and that really, really bothered me for a while because he said it with the authority of somebody that knew what they were talking about. And it really bothered me for a while. And, you know, there were times after that that I did engage with people in those conversations and those arguments about Bible translations because I thought if they would just see what I saw, if they would just learn what I learned, then all of a sudden it, it'll fix the way they think. The reality is not a single one of those arguments ever helped anybody. Not that argument, not a music argument, not a clothing argument. None of those arguments ever fix anything with anybody. It just drives a wedge between people. I know what I know and what I believe, and I have no doubt in what I believe, but I'm not going to force that on someone else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what, what it says just a little bit later in this particular passage. In verse 22, it says, The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. I believe that was God saying, Mind your own business. You know, know what you know, believe what you believe, and mind your own business. So I think that that's where we have to be. So we have to realize, and I think this is kind of the, the way that we have to, to stick with it. We have to keep in mind the mission of God so that we can keep the main thing the main thing. Does it matter what translation a person uses? No, not really. Does it, does it matter what kind of music they listen to or sing to glorify God as long as they're truly glorifying God? No, it doesn't matter. Does it matter if they have to keep their hair up in, 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 a, in a bun or if they have to cut their hair short or they have to wear a certain kind of clothing? No, it doesn't really matter. What matters is are people hearing the gospel? Are believers being discipled? That's what matters. And if that's happening, then that is a win. If everyone remembers the selfless attitude that Jesus had, whether they are strong or weak, we'll be able to live in harmony together. So our freedoms never take priority over the mission of God. The second part of this is very similar. Do not risk the work of God. And so starting in verse 20, it says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. 
and you could take food, and I think you could kind of reinsert some of these other topics that we've been talking about. Don't let that destroy the work of God. Don't let that be the thing that undoes what God is doing. The Lord is making followers into true disciples. He is um, sharing the gospel with people. If what we do either stops people from becoming disciples, or if what we do stops people from hearing the gospel, then we are in the wrong, regardless of how free we think we might be. Those of us who are heaven-bound must never forget what's at stake. You are not saved from contemporary Christian music. You are not saved from a certain kind of diet. You were not saved from dated Christian church decoration. You were not saved from these things that people fuss and fight over all the time. You weren't saved from those things. You were saved from the penalty of your sin, eternal condemnation in the lake of fire. That's what you were saved from. And so when we fight and we bicker, what we're doing is wasting energy that could be spent sharing the gospel with someone else so that they could be saved from those eternal fires. We should always keep the main thing the main thing. When Christians act selfishly or fight among themselves, they risk the work of God. So Christians should be united with one voice declaring what matters, what's important, what saves. But yet we spend a lot of our time fighting amongst ourselves about how we want things to go. That is wrong. If we love God, we will work for Him and not against Him. And so what is Paul's case? Why do you exercise you know, limits on your freedom? Why, why do you not judge others when maybe they're doing something that you think they shouldn't do? Why do we live with this kind of self-control? Because we love God's people, and more importantly, because we love God Himself. I have heard people say things along the lines of, I'm going to do what I want to do, and if someone else has a problem with it, it's their problem. Well, if we do what we want to do, and someone else has a problem with it, then it might cause them to sin. Who does sin hurt? Well, it hurts the sinner, but it hurts people around the sinner, and ultimately it's an affront to God. And so that attitude of I'm going to do what I want to do, and if it's their problem, it's their problem, that is an attitude of I don't care if God suffers for this. I don't care if, if God has to pay the price for this. I don't care if the mission of God suffers because of this. That's what that attitude is. That's not just arrogance. That's a recklessness that God will not abide. That gets you all the way to pride. And we have to be careful with that because we know that God resists the proud all the time. So our judgmental attitude towards our believer can undo the work in the church. Uh, we've all seen church bullies in the past. We have all seen them. Uh, and some of them, uh, it would seem they, they are willing to exercise their freedoms or they are willing to restrict other people's freedoms. Uh, so much so that they would determine that no one is free. We've seen that. There should never be a such thing as a church bully. Let me tell you that church hurt is a rough kind of hurt. Because we come in here feeling like we're safe. We come in here feeling like nobody's going to do us harm. Nobody's going to mislead us. And certainly nobody's out to get us. Well, then you walk into the buzzsaw of a church bully. Somebody that is willing to just push people around and, and say what they believe or what they think or what they've concocted over their years and, and enforce it on someone else. In those situations, that person is an agent of the devil. They are certainly not serving God. People are, who are harmed from those kinds of behaviors, they often walk away from the church. Now, let me tell you this. You do not want to be in the uncomfortable position 
And remember how this last, the last passage ended. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account to himself, uh, or give an account of himself to God. You don't want to be in the uncomfortable position of standing before God, and God says, Hey, why did you do this, knowing that it would push this person out of the church, and then have to answer why? We don't want to be in that position. We don't want to have to answer to God why we let our personal preferences or our selfishness or our pride push somebody out of the church. We never, ever want to be there. It'd be very uncomfortable. We should never tear down what God is building up. Never, ever should we tear down what God is building up. Paul is actually telling us that it would be better to abandon all of our freedoms if they were to cause a brother or sister to stumble in Christ. He said it's better to not eat eat meat. It's better to not drink wine. It's better to, to not do any of these things if it's going to cause someone to stumble. So, the list of attitudes that this passage forbids is pretty long, um, but I will make a small list. It definitely includes pride, selfishness, carelessness, and vindictiveness. We cannot have those kinds of attitudes if we're going to have a functioning church that is healthy and going the right way. We should live in such a way that we are not ashamed of anything that we do or that we approve. Notice what he he says there toward the end. He says, the faith that you have... uh, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. I believe that means mind your own business, right? So we're not, we're not you know, cutting our neighbor's grass. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So live in faith. If there's something you're doing right now and you're saying, you know, in your heart you're saying, well, I don't know if God would let me do this or not, then stop doing it until you know. Just stop doing it. When God tells you one way or the other, then proceed with whatever he tells you. But live in faith. Live with everything. Because notice this last verse. But whoever doubts is condemned um, if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you know God has allowed you to do it, then do it and don't ask any questions. But if God has not allowed you to do it, then stop and wait until God gives you clarity on that, that whatever it might be. So anything that we cannot do in faith becomes sin for us. You know, this is, and it's only half of that verse, but this is one of those things that we can take with us and we can use just like, you know, people wear the what would Jesus do bracelet. This is something you can take and use. Can I do this in faith? Can I do this knowing that God does not hold blame against me for this? If the answer is yes, then do it. If the answer is not, then, then hold off on that. So let's wrap this up. Our love for the Lord and our love for other believers should help us to walk in obedience to this passage. It should. If we love each other and we love the Lord, <coughs> then we should be able to obey a passage just like this. So there's freedom enjoying the Christian life, but we can never allow that to challenge the faith of another believer. So if you know that what you're doing, if you don't know, you can't be blamed, right? But if you know, boy, this is really going to bother so-and-so, And sometimes we know that, don't we? We know, I'm going to do this, and I know it's going to bother this other person. I'm going to do it anyway. When we we know that, then that's when things become a problem. So we must be willing to exercise self-control in all situations. So there's a scope. uh, in, In the scope of this passage, there are two kinds of people. There are the kinds of people that believe we are free to do many things because of the work of Jesus. There are also the kinds of people who believe there are still strict laws and regulation to govern our lives. The reality is there's probably a lot of us that are in the middle. That there are things we're like, no, you can't do that, and there are things that you can do. We're probably right there in the middle with that. And so we need to be humble as we walk through this. 
So when the free spirit offends others with their lifestyle, they've entered into you know, a, a sinfulness that, that is actually harming God. When the legalist attempts to place their restrictions upon believers around them, they've entered into sin and are making themselves into a judge instead of God being the judge. Regardless of how we live, if we are forcing our life, if we're forcing the faith that God has put in us, if we're forcing that on someone else, then we are in the wrong. That's where it has to stop. And so I'm not saying enforcing the laws of God. I'm not saying enforcing the gospel or the, the truths that are in Scripture. We're just suggesting the things that God has not spoken about. So we have no freedom that can compare to the work of God in believers and the rest of the world. So whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that you're doing, if it stops or hurts or slows down the work of God, then you can't do that. But if what you have and what you're doing does not harm the work of God in any way and God doesn't convict your heart about it, feel free. Listen to the Lord. Maybe I should have just said that and closed the book. Listen to the Lord. What He says in your heart, that's what you should do. Be sensitive. We don't need to get so locked into what we want that we miss what God is saying. Listen to the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And I pray that you help us to listen to you. For, for, for freedom, Christ set us free. We know that he has given us freedom to live a life that, that enables us to do your word, to do your work, to share the gospel, to, to, to reach people for Jesus, to make disciples. We know that there's a lot of freedom. We know that we're not locked into a time of day, type of food, a type of music. We're not locked into things that you didn't lock us into. But we also know that there's always going to be people that don't understand that freedom. I pray that you help us to live in an understanding way, that you help us to live in a selfless way. Let us always, always work towards your kingdom and, and, and your glory. Let us walk according to faith. Let us be faithful to you. And Lord, I know we'll live in harmony. We will not have silly disputes. We'll honor you. And when we stand before you, we will not have a reason to be ashamed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.